0: You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. When a first century Jew heard Psalm 145 read aloud, they would know that it spoke of Israel's kingdom one day reaching beyond its own borders the most startling claim is found in verses 11 through 13, which we've already heard twice and we'll hear three times. They will speak of the glory of your kingdom and will declare your might informing all people of your mighty acts and of the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Your rule is for all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and gracious in all his actions. See, the psalm becomes about something bigger than just Israel. This is about God as active and reigning king of an everlasting kingdom. And what else is significant about Psalm 145 is that it is written about God as king by a king. King David writes this psalm. And it shows us that this is how King David understands God's kingship. And we know, we know from history, we know from Israel's history, particularly 1 Samuel 8, that God accommodated Israel with earthly kings. That wasn't his desire, it's what they wanted. And so God stoops down to their desire, he stoops down to their desire, which is what God does, right? He stoops down, he stoops down to their desire and he accommodates them. He gives them what they want. That was not what he wanted. And God then tells them some kings are going to be good and some kings are going to be bad. He tells them, if you do this earthly king thing, some are going to wield their power in a way that is for your good and for my glory, and some are going to wield their power in a way that is for their good and their good alone and not for your good, and they're going to be oppressive, and they're going to be everything you don't want in a king. But if you want a king, I will give you a king. Because all kings, God tells them good or bad, are going to just be imperfect in their kingship. And one thing we know for certain is that the king and the king alone has the power to determine what the kingdom will look like and has the authority to establish the terms of its way of life and its politics. And so today is Christ the King Sunday. And we could easily talk about any of the titles and the honorifics given to Jesus as King, the titles given to Jesus in the Scripture are important, and it's important that we understand their importance as the people of Christ, the people of Jesus. And if we listen closely, the titles that Jesus is given reveal something about Jesus. And if we listen even more closely, the titles that Jesus gives himself or that are given to Jesus reveal something about his kingdom. And if we listen even more closely, the titles that are given to Jesus define our relationship with God as King. And we could talk about Christ as Son of God. Say Son of God. i got to make sure y'all are awake this morning because y'all are just dragging. We're going we're gonna to serve espresso starting next week. Is that, is that good? Is that better? Or like Red Bull for those of you who don't like coffee. Is that, is that appropriate? Um, then you can be like Zach and you see what Red Bull does to him. Right? Like... <laughs> Like the energy that is there. Where is he? Oh, I just made fun of him and he wasn't here. That's, that's not appropriate. I'll let him know. <laughs> right. We could talk about Jesus as Son of God. We could. And we could talk about he, he, how he is the one who comes from God and is God-made flesh, and he relentlessly determined to carry out what the Heavenly Father desired, and that he is, in the words of the Apostle Paul, what God looks like. He is the image of the invisible God. We could talk about Jesus as Son of God. We could also talk about Jesus as Messiah. Messiah, a word used to speak of Israel's long-expected king, a word that in the Hebrew means anointed one, set apart, and that this king, this Messiah, as the Hebrew Scriptures would speak, would be the one who would rescue Israel from its enemies, would, rest, would restore them to faithful observance of the Torah, would revive them in their kingdom and rule in peace and justice, just like Psalm 145. But what I want to look at today is a title that we, don't know off, that we don't often know too much about, and it's Jesus is Son of Man. This is the title that Jesus refers to himself the most. And it seems to me that it's worth spending a few minutes talking about. Because I think this title can give us a glimpse into what Jesus thought about himself. Because this is the one that he refers to himself as the most. And to him, I think Son of Man is more than a generic reference to his humanity. I used to believe that when Jesus said he was the Son of Man, that that's just Jesus saying, I am the human one. And then when he was saying he was the Son of God, he was also saying, and I am the God-made human one. And so I oversimplified what Son of Man meant in light of Son of God. And frankly, not only is that an oversimplification, I think it's just wrong. And I, I taught that for all these years because there was something I just didn't realize. Sure, Jesus is the prototype. He's the prototypical one. He's the the human one. He's the most human of all human ones. He is the fully human one that God desired when he created humans. Jesus shows us what it looks like to be fully human, like fully human as one living into the reign of God, living into the will of the Father. That is true. He is the standard for which we follow in our humanity. But Jesus, the Son of Man, is more than that. And I want you to listen closely to what the gospel text says about it. So we're going to read a lot of Bible this morning. So I'm going to do some interaction because I don't want you falling asleep because it's Christ the King Sunday, and I've been excited about this for a while. And frankly, this is extraordinary stuff to me. So you've got to, if you don't get excited, just smile if you can't, you know, get as excited as I'm going to get. And I apologize for the, for the yelling that may ensue. Because, you know, I, I only drank two cups of coffee this morning, so I'm, I'm pretty chill. Mark chapter 2, verse 9 through 12. So I'm not, here's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to be able to unpack every story. I just want to give you a glimpse, okay? Just a glimpse. So Jesus says, which is easier to say to the paralytic? Your sins are forgiven or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. But so that you may know that the, read it with me, son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He told the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. Immediately he got up, took the mat and went out in front of everyone. And as a result, they were all astounded and gave glory to God saying, we have never seen anything like this. All right, later on in a dispute, in the same chapter about keeping the Sabbath day as holy, Jesus says in Mark 2, 28, then he, Jesus, told them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. So then the, read it with me, son of man is Lord even of the Sabbath. The son of man has divine power and authority. That isn't all. Listen to this conversation Jesus has with the disciples in Mark chapter 8. Listen to how Jesus refers to himself. Mark eight twenty-seven. Jesus went out with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the road he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they answered him, John the Baptist. Others say, Elijah, still others, one of the prophets. But you, Jesus asked him, who do you say that I am? Peter answered. This is the most significant moment in Peter's life. Peter answered him and said, you are the what? Messiah. And Jesus strictly warned them to tell no one about him. Then he began to teach them that it was necessary for the son of man to suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and scribes, be killed, and rise after three days. Now, when Mark's recording this, why didn't Mark just go on with the Messiah thing? he brings up this son of man title again. And he associates this son of man title with the son of God notion of the king of Israel and connects the son of man title to suffering, to rejection, that Jesus would face by the ruling powers and then connects it to resurrection. All right, keep that in mind. So when Jesus is on trial with Israel's governing body, Mark chapter 14, verse 60. Then the high priest stood up before them all and questioned Jesus. Do you have an answer to what these men are testifying against you? But he kept silent and did not answer. Again, the high priest questioned him. Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, said Jesus. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming to the clouds of heaven. What's up with the Son of Man reference again? Why shift titles, Jesus? I think it's a question worth asking. All right, so as Jesus was traveling with his disciples, talking about what it means to follow him and receive entrance into the kingdom of God, this is a significant text, too. In Luke chapter 9, verse 58. Just so you know, Mark isn't the only one, even though Mark uses and points us to the Son of Man referenced the most, Luke uses it too. He says, Here he records, Jesus told him, Foxes have dens and birds of the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Then he said to another, Follow me. And then Matthew in a judgment text. Everybody say judgment text. Because that's what it is. It's the whole least of these texts. That's why we talk about this a lot in our congregation. Matthew's Gospel 25, 31. When the comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before Him, and He'll separate them one from another. Just as a shepherd separates the sheep, He will separate... Just as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, He'll put the sheep on His right hand and the goats on His left. And then the king will say to those on the right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world and you know the rest for I was hungry and gave me something to eat <coughs> now there are more to hear about this there are more to hear about the son of man this self-given title that Jesus has and this title that the gospel writers give somewhat sparingly with the exception of mark and we could say that it points to in these texts we see that it points to his power his authority it points to his suffering his vindication by resurrection and it points to his appointment To return and judge all of creation. And if you listen closely, you can see the connection between the Son of Man and kingship. And this is the most profound image of all and has roots that reach back into the Hebrew scriptures, and which uh, would have been one of the most popular Bible books or Hebrew Bible books during the Roman rule. So, first century Jews, they particularly loved the book of Daniel in their time, which is. Really cool, because we've been going through that with the kiddos in Big Idea for the last several weeks. And they're going to extend through that into the season of Advent. Particularly, the Jews would have liked Daniel 7. Because here, if you're a first century Jewish person living under the oppressive rule of Rome, this is a book that gives you hope. All right. So this becomes a popular book during Jesus' ministry and you'll see why. All right, so we're going to read a lot, so stay with me. Read Daniel 7. In the first year of King Belshazzar of Babylon, Daniel had a dream with visions in his mind as he was lying in his bed. He wrote down the dream, and here's a summary of his account. Now, I need you to like imagine this because this is written in what's called apocalyptic language. So it is highly poetic and it's big and it's meant to get our attention. So even if the coffee wasn't strong enough, if our hearts are settled in, this should awaken us, okay? Let this awaken you. Daniel said, verse two, <coughs> in my vision at night, I was watching and suddenly the four winds of heaven stirred up the great sea. See that. For a huge beast came up from the sea, each different from the other. The first was like a lion, but had eagle's wings. I continued watching until its wings were torn off. It was lifted up from the ground, set on its feet like a man, and given a human mind. Suddenly another beast appeared, a second one that looked like a bear. It was raised up on one side with three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. It was told, get up, gorge yourself on flesh. After this, while I was watching, suddenly another beast appeared, and it was like a leopard with four wings of a bird on its back. It had four heads, and it was given dominion. After this, while I was watching the night visions, suddenly a fourth beast appeared, frightening and dreadful and incredibly strong. Incredibly strong, with large iron teeth. It devoured and crushed, and it trampled with its feet whatever was left. It was different from all the beasts before it, and it had ten horns. And while I was considering the horns, suddenly another horn, a little one, came up from among them, and three of the first horns were uprooted before it. And suddenly, in this horn, there were eyes, like the eyes of a human, and a mouth that was speaking arrogantly. As I kept watching, thrones were set in place. And the ancient of days took his seat. His clothing was white like snow and the hair of his head like whitest wool. His throne was flaming fire. Its wheels were blazing fire. A river of fire was flowing coming out from his presence. Thousands upon thousands served him 10,000 times. 10,000 stood before him. The court was convened and the books were open. I watched then, because of the sound of the arrogant words the horn was speaking, as I continued watching, the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to the burning fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was removed, but an extension of life was granted to them for a certain period of time. And I continued watching in the night visions, and suddenly one like a son of man was coming with the clouds of heaven, and he approached the Ancient of Days and was escorted before him. He was given authority and glory and a kingdom so that those of every people, nation, and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. Well, as for me, Daniel, man, my spirit was deeply distressed within me, and the visions in my mind terrified me. I approached one of those who were standing by and asked them to clarify all this. So he let me know the interpretation of these things. He said, These huge beasts, four in number, are four kings who arise from the earth. But the holy ones of the Most High will receive the kingdom and possess it forever. Yes, forever and ever. Then I wanted to be clear about the fourth beast the one different from all the others, extremely terrifying with iron teeth and bronze claws, devouring, crushing and trampling with its feet, whatever was left. I also wanted to know about the 10 horns on his head and about the other horn that came up before which three fell, the horn that had eyes and a mouth that spoke arrogantly and that looked bigger than the others. As I was watching, this horn waged war against the holy ones and was prevailing over them until the Ancient of Days arrived and a judgment was given in favor of the holy ones of the Most High. For the time had come and the holy ones took possession of the kingdom, and this is what he said: The Fourth beast, the fourth beast will be a fourth kingdom on the earth, different from all the other kingdoms. It would devour the whole earth, trample it down, and crush it. The ten horns are ten kings who arise from this kingdom. Another king, different from the previous ones, will rise after them and subdue three kings. He will speak words against the Most High, and oppress the holy ones of the Most High. He will intend to change religious festivals and laws, and the holy ones will be handed over to him for a time, times, and half a time. But the court will convene. Say the court will convene. And his dominion will be taken away to be completely destroyed forever. The kingdom, dominion, and greatness of the kingdoms under all of heaven will be given to the people, the holy ones of the Most High. And his kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom and all rulers will serve and obey him. This is the end of the account. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts terrified me greatly, and my face turned pale, but I kept the matter to myself. Is that big? Is that freaky? It's incredible. But look at the claims it makes about this son of man. See, what's recorded here in Daniel 7 is God's plan to restore his rule over his people. That's what this recorded. Daniel sees four beasts emerge out of the sea. Beasts that are like a lion, like a bear, and like a leopard. And then a fourth beast that is described without the word like. I think that's significant. This beast, the fourth, fourth beast, is powerful terrifying, has iron teeth that it uses to crush enemies, Ten horns, one of which seems to have a life of its own and talks like an egomaniac with prideful and arrogant speech. And then in a courtroom-like drama that comes out of nowhere, God, who's called the Ancient of Days, sets up judgment. And next, the text tells us, one like a son of man, that is, like a human being, comes. And he comes with clouds of heaven. It's a cloud surfer, And the Ancient of Days grants him, as the text reads, with authority and glory and a kingdom, so that those of every people, nation, and language would serve him. The text goes on to use very similar language to the promise that God made King David when it says... His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. Daniel's son of man, this human one, is a king. Not just any king, a future king that comes from the line of David. And Daniel sees it all, but he's so confounded and distressed that he needs someone to interpret what he's seen. And so an angel comes and interprets the vision, and the four huge beasts, he says, will arise from the earth And looking back, we now see that these four huge beasts represent the four major empires of history. Babylon, Medo-Persian Empire, the Grecian Empire, Greece, and the fourth beast, can you guess? Rome. And by the time the vision is over, we hear that the one like the Son of Man will suffer but be exalted by God and appointed as ruler over all kingdoms. And not only that, and this is the thing, this is why this is an exciting Sunday. This is why, like, you shouldn't need espresso, right? Like, this is it. And this kingdom will be given to His people, to His holy ones. So His holy ones will be granted the possession of this kingdom and live in authority and victory under the victorious, vindicated, resurrected Son of Man who is the appointed ruler and judge of the whole cosmos. And these holy ones, those who serve him, and that's the evidence, right? The evidence isn't, oh, I love praise music. The evidence of the ones who serve him will participate in his rule by sharing in his work and sharing in his benefits and sharing in his blessings. Dude, during the reign of Rome, It's understood by scholars that this text had grown in popularity and favor, and I don't think it's hard to see why. And so no wonder why Jesus then, very wink and a nod kind of way, decides to refer to himself on a consistent basis, I'm son of man. Son of man. Because what image is coming up in the Jews' mind? Son of man. Have I heard that before? Have I heard son of man? Son of man at the synagogues. Somebody grab the prophet. Somebody grab Daniel 7, son of man. Jesus, son of man. And so Jesus with his disciples explains this with things like I have authority and power. I can forgive sins. I can make people walk. Oh, but I'm coming back and judging it all. And he doesn't just say I as king or Messiah or son of God. He says, when I, the son of man, you know, come, I don't know, search on clouds, comes back. And they're thinking, Son of Man. See, when Jesus uses this title as a reference to Himself, He has a story in mind. And He wants us to hear His Son of Man references with it playing in the background. We, what, we discover, what we discover is that through King Jesus, God's reign results in a kingdom where all people, nations, and languages can be welcomed, known, and loved and will serve Him in love forever. Jesus is the divine and human representative known as the Son of God who is the appointed ruler of the world. And in self-giving love, Jesus, the Son of Man, submits His power and authority to the earthly powers and authorities to suffer and die. Yet because of His power and authority. And because God has appointed Jesus as Son of Man, He is the ruler of the world and will be vindicated by bodily resurrection. And then from this bodily resurrection, He will ascend to God's right hand and reign as the everlasting King of God's everlasting kingdom. And we know this, we know this, and we know that His kingdom is broken into our world, and though it's not in its complete fullness yet, because Jesus hasn't come again, because the King hasn't come again, because the Son of Man hasn't come riding in on the clouds again, because it hasn't come in its fullness, we still know that it has come, because Jesus the King has risen, and the Spirit has been sent. And all the claims that Jesus makes about this kingdom, and all the claims that Jesus makes about the people who become citizens of this kingdom will never be broken because this kingdom never ends. That's all? Just, just one amen. Like, like, like I like I can't, like you gotta see this. And if that's not enough, then I wanna turn you to John's revelation. And listen to what he writes. He writes this with the same apocalyptic imagery as Daniel. John the revelator. And by the way, just nerd, jo- nerd, nerd point, it's called revelation, not revelations, right? Like it's revelation, because it's one revelation. That's important, though. Like, like the S matters. It'd be mean, like saying, hey, Danny's." No, there's, there's Danny. <laughs> like, like Kathy doesn't want two of them. Well, maybe you do, Kathy. Maybe, maybe you do, right? Like, like I wouldn't mind having a Danny because he can fix anything. So I think it's, I think it's fantastic. But this is revelation, not revelations, all right? So listen to John's language. Revelation 1, verse 12. So then I turned to see whose voice it was that spoke to me. When I turned, I saw seven gold lampstands. And among the lampstands was one like the son of man. Well, like a human, dressed in a robe with a white golden sash wrapped around his chest. The hair of his head was white as wool, white as snow, and his eyes like a fiery flame. His feet were like fine bronze as it is fired in a furnace, and his voice like the sound of cascading waters. And he had seven stars in his right hand. A sharp, double-edged sword came from his mouth, and his face was shining like the sun at full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man, and he laid his right hand on me, and he said, don't be afraid, I am the first, and the last, and the living one, I was dead, but look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and hate. The God of heaven and earth who is Christ the King who holds the keys of death and Hades holds you. Like it doesn't matter, right? Like no matter what the kings of earth say, no matter what the kings of earth do, Christ is still king. And there may be a time, and another time, and whatever this means by the angel in Daniel 7, and a half time. I don't know what that means. Where there is oppression, where there is pain, where there is doubt, where there is fear, where there is hurt. But that doesn't change. That the Son of Man, who is Christ the King, is yours. And the kingdom. And all that God promises is yours. Like, if you think America's something, you see nothing. Now, it'd be helpful for us to get that right, right? And I know some of us don't want to face that sometimes. If you ain't willing to face it, then you can't receive the full benefit and blessing of the kingdom because you can't hold on to that while you're holding on to something else. Like, this is an all-in proposition. It's an all-in. That's what Jesus said in Luke. Hey, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Follow me. Like, this is, this is being content in my exiled sort of state. This is being content in realizing that this, this, this place where I am a, where this, this so-called, which the Bible never uses this notion of dual citizenship. The Bible never uses that language. There's no dual citizenship. There's citizenship in the kingdom of God and there's foreigners, sojourners, exiled people. Dual citizenship is language of evangelical Christianity in America trying to placate our our allegiances and loyalties. In the Bible, in the Scripture, in the Word of God, there's no dual citizenship. There's just citizen of the kingdom of heaven and wandering and traveling and foreigner and sojourner and the rest of the thing. This world is not my home. I long for a heavenly city, Peter would say. And it's been given to you and me. And it's not because we're awesome Like, like that God didn't look at Danny and be like, well, he can fix stuff. I'm gonna give him the kingdom. Because if that were the case, I'd be up a creek, because I can't fix a thing. Right? Like he didn't look at us and say, Oh, look at Tim, he's so great. No, he just said, Look at my beloved, I love it. I'm gonna do for them what they can't do for themselves, because I want to give them this kingdom. I wanna give them me. I wanna give them me, and they can't have me because they think they're better things than me. Someone give them me. And so Jesus then, Jesus. As we hear Him call Himself the Son of Man, Jesus invites us to see God as coming to us. Say, to us. That's the incarnation. So that God becomes like us. Say, like us. That's the divine and human representation. So that we will see that God is for us. Say, for us. We see that in the vindication through resurrection, crucifixion and resurrection. And so that God will become over us. Say, over us. This is His eternal coronation in his ascension, and then through Christ the King, God offers us a kingdom vocation. A kingdom vocation to live in his presence and participate in his work in the world by the Spirit who is God with us. Say with us. God comes to us, becomes like us, because he's for us, to reign over us, and through Christ the King lives with us. You have God man. Whatever you don't have, you have Christ the King. So what do we do with all this? Well, I close with this guidance from the Apostle Paul. I get it from his prayer. He writes it to the churches in Colossae. Listen to what he says in Colossians 1, verse 9. So we're asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will, and all, say this with me, wisdom and spiritual understanding. Wisdom and spiritual understanding. You can have more degrees than a thermometer and still be spiritually ignorant. He's saying, Fred, I want you to have wisdom and spiritual understanding. You can be the greatest businessman that's ever lived, but I need you to have spiritual understanding. so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with, say it with me, all power according to His glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance of the light. Read this with me now. He has rescued us, from the domain of darkness and transferred us in the kingdom of the Son He loves. And I don't know if Paul meant this, but I love that he just says, Son, He may let us fill in the blank. Of God of man. The Son He loves. In Him we have redemption, forgiveness, forgiveness of sins. So what do we do with all this? Here's it. Here's the big idea. Come on up, John. Stay loyal to Christ the King. Stay loyal. Choose loyalty to Christ the King. When other loyalties are offered, choose loyalty to Christ the King alone. You only have one total and complete loyalty to give. You don't have more loyalties to give. There has to be something that is greater than all other somethings. Choose loyalty to Christ the King. Next thing, pray to Him. Pray to Him that His concerns and His cares become your concerns and your cares. Pray to Him. That what Jesus shows us God cares most about becomes what you care most about. Pray to Him to ask Him that. And then live like it. And ask God through Christ the King to strengthen you according to His glorious might to walk fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, to live the life of a royal child who has become a priest to the world for the good of all people, of all nations, of all languages, to bear witness to the kingdom of God that is broken in and that will come fully. We started with Psalm 145. We close with Psalm 146.
1: Psalm 146. Hallelujah. My soul praise the Lord. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing to my God as long as I live. Do not trust in nobles. In son of man who cannot save. When his breath leaves him, he returns to the ground. On that day, his plans die. Happy is the one whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. He remains faithful forever, executing justice for the exploited and giving food to the hungry. The Lord frees prisoners. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord raises up those who are oppressed. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord protects resident aliens and helps the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the ways of the wicked. The Lord reigns forever. Zion, your God, reigns for all generations. Hallelujah.